0: You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen
1: and Zach Kelberman. Join Bronco's Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in everybody to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented as always by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime. You know him and love him, is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, it was poetic, I don't know if you could even call it justice, it was poetic karma that Champ Bailey, we got the news on Monday, is has been elected to the Denver Broncos Ring of Fame, which of course coincides with him being elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, both in uh, the year 2019.
2: Yeah, and he's the first Broncos player in history to get you know both those honors in the same year, and it's you know well deserved. He's one of the best corners of all time. He's a Broncos legend. He deserves all these accolades that are coming to him. So I'm I'm happy for him and happy for Broncos Broncos country to share this memory.
1: I, I still am just so regretful for him that he wasn't able to get a Super Bowl, but at least yeah. he played in one. Right? He he played in Super Bowl forty eight, that the game that the Broncos got blown out by the Seahawks, basically, but. At least he got that opportunity, and he got close one other time in 2005 when the Broncos got to the AFC Championship game with Jake Plummer and lost to the eventual world champion Pittsburgh Steelers, but that's really the only thing missing from his resume. Yeah, he just
2: left such a major mark, you know, watching him growing up. In my formative years watching the NFL, watching Champ Bailey, he just left such a mark at the position. Even Vic Fangio addressed it today. You know, he left an impression on him with his size, his combination of speed, his instincts, his ball skills. I mean, that's something that's still being talked about years after he last played a game. So he's an all-time player, and like I said, he deserves
1: all the good coming to him right now. Two, two last thoughts on Champ. I remember when he first arrived in Denver... Mike Shanahan, he's such, he was such a dynamic athlete and an explosive athlete. Mike Shanahan actually had a few packages on offense for him. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember when that trade was was made with for for Clinton Portis. You know, fans were really disappointed by that because even though Champ Bailey had established himself as a young Pro Bowl corner by that point, you know, Clinton Portis was coming off of back to back seasons of fifteen hundred yards rushing, two Pro Bowls himself, and you know, let's face it. Especially back then, the running back was a more high-profile position than corner. The Champ Bailey legend wasn't obviously what it would end up becoming. But Mike Shanahan talked about in the press that, you know, we got a lot of things cooking for and ideas and things in the works for, for Champ Bailey. And sure enough, that even the opening game of that season, he arrived in Denver, whatever it was, I think it was 0-4. They ran some offensive plays with Champ Bailey, got him the ball. Some fans can remember exactly what I'm talking about. There's that. And then I also can remember when he first came to Denver, you know, after a couple of years, and that's when he really hit his peak as a dominant shutdown, the premier corner in the NFL. I remember seeing posters that showed him and said Champ Bailey, you know, two-thirds of the, of the earth covered by water, the other third by Champ Bailey.
2: And what's funny is, you know, not long from now, maybe even next year, he'll look up on the facade of Bronco Stadium, and he'll see Mike Shanahan's name there too. By all indications, he's the next Ring of Fame inductee, and it's good that the Broncos are finally recognizing their legends, you know, if it, even if it took a little time.
1: And it's ridiculous. I don't want to derail the pod, but it's ridiculous Mike Shanahan is not already in the Ring of Fame. Yeah, agreed. And I'll be honest, I'll, I'll, I'm a little bit ignorant on what the strictures are for Ring of Fame um, qualifications exactly in terms of how long they maybe need to be out of the league or whatever before they can – be inducted, but Shanahan's been out since whatever it is. Twenty was it? Twenty thirteen was his last year with the Redskins, I believe. I so. believe, yeah. And so it's been a minute, right? And you think about the contribution Mike Shanahan made to this team. Not only was he the offensive coordinator on at least one of the Super Bowl teams in the '80s. I think it was the '89 squad, if I'm not mistaken, which Broncos lost to to the 49ers. But of course, the back to back World Championships in the late '90s. You know, he should. It should have been long ago that he was inducted into the Ring yeah. of Fame.
2: Yeah, and the Broncos haven't done a, an overwhelmingly great job honoring their legends. They're starting to kind of patch that up. You saw it in, in the last couple of years. You saw it with Bailey this year. You saw it with Al Wilson at the draft. They're, they're starting to move in the right direction, but it, in certain instances, Shad, with Bailey and all that, they did drag their feet a little too much.
1: And that's one of the reasons, frankly, I believe Kyle Shanahan recoils at the notion that his system is a West Coast system. If, when he talks about it publicly, he'll use expletives to say, no, this isn't the effing West Coast offense that I run. <clears throat> and the reason why is because this is my take. I was just talking about this, in fact, on the phone with Doc Bear uh, oh, last week. We were talking about this, and I said, look, I think the reason why is because you know Kyle Shanahan's system is, is basically built on the bones of his father's system, Mike Shanahan. And I think when people say, oh, it's the West Coast offense, even though Mike's system was informed by Bill Walsh, who was the progenitor of the West Coast, even though it was built on that, to call Kyle's system the West Coast offense, I think Kyle sees that as taking away from the legacy and the own, its own thing that Mike's system had become. And there are differences, although they're minor, between what Walsh did and what Shanahan eventually did, including the zone blocking including some of the more vertical aspects of Shanahan's system. But I think there's something to that, that, you know, Kyle's trying to, I don't know, protect whatever legacy is there for Mike Shanahan and maybe try and push it to the forefront in a kind of passive-aggressive way. So it's good to me, even more so, that the Broncos, if you know, that this happens sooner than later getting Mike into the ring.
2: Yeah, also, you know, he's protecting his father, but also as a coach in the NFL now, he wants to become his own man with his own identity and differentiate himself. So he wants to say that I'm taking some aspects some bare bones of my father's system. It's not this. It's not that. It's not going to be mischaracterized, but I'm also doing my own thing. I, I like how Kyle has approached that aspect.
1: We do have a lot to get to on today's show. The Denver Broncos kicked off week two of OTAs. We got to hear from Vic Fangio, Josie Jewell, and, of course, Cortland Sutton on Monday. We're going to go through some of the implications of what they had to say. But first, you guys, a couple of quick matters of business. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. It's the best way to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time. And then don't forget to leave your creative review on iTunes. Give us that five-star rating. It's a great way that you can help support the show.
0: With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME.
3: Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, Zach, let's talk about some of the, the quick takeaways from Vic Fangio's time at the podium on Monday. And I'm going to be writing about this later. By the time our listeners hear this, the, the article will be out there. But I wanted to get your take on what he had to say about Demarcus Walker. And in fact, I'll, I'm not going to play the clip, I'll just read the quote. He was asked whether or not Demarcus Walker is showing improvement, you know, because there's questions as to. Whether or not he even fits Fangio's scheme, you know, he's only appeared in 13 games in two years as a former second-round pick. Fangio basically said, quote, I'm not sure yet, but I do think that he's working extremely hard. I think he's making progress, and ultimately with D-line and O-line, you have to have the pads on to see. I like where he's at. I like where he's at emotionally, too. I think he's in a good spot emotionally. He's probably matured in the last couple years, and we're going to see what he has or doesn't have here come training camp, close quote, which to me was both a positive in that, you know, I think he's, he's giving DeMarcus Walker an opportunity to start from square one in his eyes, right? But he's also acknowledging that, look, you know, he's in a good spot emotionally, which implies that there might have been an issue there.
2: Yeah, I thought this was a fair answer and a fair assessment. It it kind of is a shot to me at the Broncos' previous coaching staff where it let him devolve to that, and they moved him around so much, and they toyed with him, and maybe that had a psychological aspect, an emotional aspect. It's clear that for the first couple years in the NFL, DeMarcus Walker did not have what it takes to see the field. Whether that's going to happen in Fangio's system, like I I agree with him. Not until you have contact a little bit, not until the games start uh, going on. It's too soon. Some think he's miscast in the system. Other think, you know, he's has potential that can be unlocked. You know, Chad, I'm a big DeMarcus Walker fan. I think he would personally do well under Vic Fangio, but Fangio confirming that there was some, you know, something at play here other than just uh, a numbers game or the weekly inactive list that led to him not playing. And we're finally starting to see it come to the forefront.
1: We both have optimistic views on what DeMarcus Walker can bring to the table, but if you can't thrive under Bill Collar and then Vic Fangio, I mean, it really is more than a failure to launch. You know, it's just yeah. you don't have what it takes between the years probably to make it in the NFL. But I remain optimistic, and based on what Fangio is saying there, I do think he's given him a fair opportunity to prove that, look, these last two years, you know, chalk it up more to the previous coaching staff, chalk it up more to being buried on a really crappy team, even though that has its own implications. Why aren't you playing? If it's that crappy of a team, you should be playing if you're – a living legend right but bottom line is aside from all that i think it's encouraging because fangio like he talked about with watching film on current broncos in the in the last season he's like look i'm not doing that i'm not going to watch film unless it's on a guy that we have to make a decision on because he wants to he doesn't want to have preconceived notions he wants to form his own opinions and i think this is a clear indication he's doing just that with walker
2: and and also the fact that Fangio has not been afraid at all to call anyone out, whether it's Von Miller last week or Devontae Bosby today, and the fact that he's kind of complimenting DeMarcus Walker to me reading between the lines, it bodes pretty well for his potential to at least contribute this season.
1: You brought it up, Devontae Bosby, who's received maybe not like positive remarks from Vic Fangio the few times he's been um, he's been mentioned, while Fangio's at the podium, but on Monday. He basically said that, you know, he kind of, I wouldn't say threw him under the bus, but as you had in the article, he was critical of Devontae Bosby. And here's what he said, basically. He said, quote, I think there's been a time or two in phase two whereas he's let the back-to-back season, we'll explain what that means, albeit shortened, give him a reason to think he's too tired to where he shouldn't do that. He has to overcome that. He has to overcome being his own worst enemy and show the player that he can be, close quote. So obviously what Fangio is alluding to there is he finished the NFL season, right, in 2018 and then jumped right into the AAF. And so now there's this idea that, you know, I'm too tired, you know, I've been run ragging two back-to-back seasons – not give, not being able to contribute 100%. What was your take on that, Zach?
2: No death by inches. And Fangio will do anything it takes to you know keep that away. And Devontae Bosby, it's tough. It's a tough it's position playing all those games straight, all those weeks straight, but he knew what he signed up for. He knew what was going to happen if that league crumpled, and it did. And he landed in a really good spot chat with his former coach, and Vic Fangio, in one of the league's best secondaries. He has to take advantage of every snap with Chris Harris Jr. out, with Isaac Yatham recovering from shoulder surgery. This is his time. It's a golden opportunity. And no matter how fatigued you are, how tired you are, you've got to step up and rise to the challenge. So I am completely uh, smitten with Fangio's viewpoint in that no coach speak, no platitudes, no BS, just tell it like it is.
1: Yes. So refreshing. It's an absolutely yes. re- refreshing approach. And, you know, it also speaks to the fact that, Bosby, you got to step your game up because – Yadam's about to hit the field again. You know, he's been recovering from that shoulder injury that he suffered at the end of last season. And here's what Fangio said about Yadam's recovery. He said, quote, he started back today and did some individual work and did a little bit in seven-on-seven. I don't think he partook in any of the teamwork, but hopefully we'll get him up to speed here quickly, close quote. So Yadam's pretty much back in the saddle. They're going to ease him in a little bit. So if Bosby is not on his game, if he's not on point, if he's not, you know, living up to the death-by-inches ethos, yeah, Adam's going to pass him up. He's already passed him up in terms of well, his draft pedigree alone. You know, he's going to be given more opportunities to succeed than, than Bosby's going to be on the surface. But it's just another guy, another iron in the fire that he has to try and compete with and set himself apart from. I think if it shakes
2: out now, Yadam would be the the fourth corner and Bosby would be the fifth, and they're going to carry at least five. So Bosby has a good chance to make the team here. And even Fangio said he's going to be competing to make a spot on this team, which implies that he's going to be carried through the preseason. He's going to have a a great chance here. He just cannot squander it, especially with two cornerbacks, Chad, out of the picture and another one playing safety half the time. He has to step it up.
1: Absolutely. A couple other things I want to jump on here from Fangio. He was asked about Ron Leary's recovery. And of course, Ron Leary has been on the field for OTAs for those who aren't you know, keeping, keeping track exactly. He's been on the field for OTAs. He's part of the group sessions. He's a part of the classroom work and all the meetings, but he's mostly working on the sideline with trainers as opposed to uh, participating in team periods. Here's what Coach Fangio said about Leary, quote, Hopefully Ron makes a full recovery from his injury, which I think he can and he will. Everything has been positive both from the medical people and from talking to him. We're hoping Ron makes it back. Hopefully we'll see him partaking by the last couple of practices before we go on break and he'll be ready to go full speed at training camp, Closed quote. So that's the the trajectory Leary's on. It sounds like by the end of this OTA session, they want to be able to get him on the field at least for some of the team period.
2: Yeah, which is good. I mean, it, it's it's tough for any player to come back from an Achilles injury and they have him and Emmanuel Sanders coming back to full health. My only thing is put him back at left guard now. There's no reason why you should have Reisner uh, you know, at that side, put him back at left guard, which is Leary's natural spot. Don't mess around there. That's what I hope can be the plan in training camp. But for now, in the interim, with these voluntary practices, at least encouraging that he's on the field is any better. Um, I just have questions where they're going to play him. That's all.
1: We also got to hear... You know, from Vic Fangio, the poet, when he was asked about Noah Fant and what he's seen on film, he said, quote, yeah, he can run. We all knew that. That was easy. But now he has to learn how to be a tight end in the NFL. He's got tools, but, you know, I can go into Home Depot and walk out with a bunch of nice tools, (laughs) and I'm not a carpenter. We have to teach him how to be a tight end in the NFL, and he's working great at it, close quote. So I love the analogy. It, It made me chuckle when I heard him deliver it. But what, what do you think the implications are of what he's really trying to say there, Zach? That it's, it takes
2: more than just looking good in the uniform and catching passes. And he's right. I mean, it, there's a mental component to it. It's it's a daily thing. You have to work at your craft every single day. And nothing is going to be handed to Fant, even though he, he was a first-round draft pick. He's not even guaranteed to be the starter, let alone be a star. So, yeah keep at it, you know, keep that hammer knocking those nails every single day. And before you know it, you, you'll build up a nice career for yourself.
1: For what it's worth. And we're going to talk about Josie Jule's remarks here on the other side of the break. But the last thing I want to say before we do that is what Josie had to say about Noah Fant. He said, quote, he's a dude, he's a pretty fast tight end, he's kind of like one of those hybrid guys, but not a lot of people give him credit for his blocking. I think he does a great job blocking also. His route tree is pretty good, and he can just flat out run. He's going to be a mismatch for some people, close quote. So that's another thing that I've been trying to explain to fans ever since that pick was made, is that there's more of a foundation there as a blocker from Noah Fant than the average, you know, pass-catching, explosive athlete that comes out of college at the position. There's there's something to work with there, and Josie Jewell would know. He played with him for two years at Iowa before they both ended up in the NFL. And when we
2: talked about, Chad, on a previous pod, is covering fan every day in practice is going to make Jewell a better player. So it's really a good position for both of them to be in right now.
1: All right, like you said, we got a couple more things we want to touch on from Cortland Sutton and Josie Jewell, but first we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Huddle Up! Podcast listeners, check this out. If you've been thinking about becoming a Mile High Huddle VIP subscriber, now's the time to do it. We have a phenomenal offer to get your foot in the door as a new VIP. Right now, you can get your first month of VIP for $1. That's insane value, and it immediately gives you access to all of the premium content we produce. If you want to subscribe for the year, new annual subscribers will get 30% off the cost of a membership. Never before have we been able to offer new subscribers this kind of introductory incentive to pull the trigger. This is how you get access to our VIP mailbags every Friday. Zach and I answer each and every question from our VIPs, even if it means an episode goes a little bit long jumping on this offer also gives you 100% access to every piece of content we produce on the front page including our Broncos film room breakdowns and every other form of deep dive Broncos content our site is known for VIPs also get entry into our members only MHH insiders forum where you hear the insider buzz first from our talented and plugged in staff and you get to engage with other passionate and knowledgeable fans just like you Becoming a VIP subscriber, you guys, it's the best way to support the work and the time Zach and I put into producing a daily podcast for your listening pleasure and edification. So go to milehighhuddle.com, click on the green banner, choose monthly or annual, and you are locked in. The regular season will be here before you know it, so jump on one of these offers, Broncos
0: country. This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
1: Alright, Zach, let's since we, we talked about Jewel last to close out the, the first segment, let's hit him first, then we'll talk about Sutton. Um, I thought it was interesting and I wrote about this after the press conference, but the idea of whether or not Josie Jewel is a fit for the Vic Fangio scheme. There have been some doubts and some questions as to whether or not he is. And although I've tried to kind of pump the brakes on those doubts and concerns, I you know, I think he, he is a good fit. Jewel addressed that head-on in his presser today, which was the first time we've gotten to hear from Josie Jewell since the Vic Fangio hire. And what he, when he was asked directly on whether or not he, his style fits Fangio, he said, quote, I hope so. Only he can answer that one. I definitely hope that's where he's that's what he's looking for. I'm definitely working on a lot of parts of my game here today and through these OTAs, close quote. So there's certain aspects of his game that he's you know putting a little extra and additional effort into in order to more closely fit the demands of what Fangio needs at the off ball linebacker position in his defense. But Zach, I see Josie Jewel and I wrote about this as a very similar player as the former Wisconsin standout Chris Borland who was drafted by the Niners when Fangio was there it was Fangio's last season in San Francisco he was drafted there in the third round he only played that one year Borland before he retired you know with a lot of media scrutiny over over the concern of concussions but in that one year Zach he didn't even start all 16 games he started six or excuse me eight games added up over 100 combined tackles 84 of them were solo he had a couple of picks he defensed you know, like half a dozen passes. He produced quite a bit in a single season, and I think the the scheme fit are are pretty similar. And it might be in it, or excuse me, the 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 tangible fits are pretty similar. The the comparisons between Jewel and Borland, and I think obviously Borland, one of the reasons Zach he was so successful in his his one and only year there under Fangio in San Francisco, is he's going to benefit from that Fangio bump, which we've talked about quite a bit. And the same applies for Josie Jewell.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're both toolsy players. It's a good comparison. They're, they're both very much alike. They're not going to be all pros. or not Patrick Willis's, Ruben Foster types. They're not three-down linebackers. But to use that Home Depot analogy, they're Swiss Army Knives. They can do it all for this defense. And what makes them effective players is what the weaknesses that they have in, in, in physical talent is made up for in coaching. That's the difference between the Broncos last year and the Broncos this year with Vic Fangio, and that's what he thinks he can get out of Josie Jewell. There's a reason they didn't sign an inside linebacker, draft one. Uh, he admitted Fangio early this offseason that he did watch tape of Jewel last year with the Bears. He's already familiar with them. That's one player he's mentioned by name this offseason. It's clear. Based on the moves and the non-moves they made that Josie Jewell figures into their plans. But he's never going to be, fans thinking he's never going to be this this Devin Bush, Devin White type. That's not who he is. But he's good enough to succeed. You can win with him. And with good coaching, like you mentioned with Borland and Vic Fangio, I mean, you can really, really turn into a solid starter. You can't have all pros at every spot. But if you have solid playmaker, lunch pail types, those are the championship defenses that and the players that you need.
1: That wouldn't surprise me, though, honestly, because of his football IQ and his motor, that Josie Jewell becomes that type of player under Fangio. And I don't want to get too far into the weeds of hyperbole there, but you made a great point, too, Zach, that, you know, for whatever athletic, I don't even want to call them deficiencies. You know, you compare a Josie Jewell, for example, with a guy like Devin White. Devin White's going to jump out of the gym. He's going to beat him in the 40. He's a much more explosive, quick-twitch type of athlete. But what's going to bridge the gap between the type of player Josie Jewell is and that natural ability that a guy like Devin White wakes up with in the morning, gets out of bed, and and he has those natural gifts, is that coaching that that Fangio brings to the the table, that Fangio bump. And so that's really encouraging, and that's a great point. He also talked, Josie Jewell, about some of the differences between the scheme, obviously, that they ran – last year under Joe Woods and Vance Joseph, and Fangio's scheme. And he talked about how they're similar in terms of philosophy where, you know, basically Joe Woods was running the same type of scheme that he learned from Wade Phillips in that the front seven is very much an attacking front seven. But there are some huge differences in terms of what the back seven, what their responsibilities are in terms of coverage. And here's what he said, quote, with a bunch of different coverages that he has, talking about Fangio, and the way he disguises things, Sometimes a quarterback is not going to show what you're in and is not going to know. Hold on, let me do that again. Here's what he said. Quote, With a bunch of different coverages that he has and the way he disguises things, sometimes a quarterback is not going to know what you're in and not going to know where to pick on you at. Say you're in cover three and he thinks you're in man or something like that, he's not going to be able to pick it out and know exactly where to go right away and have those quick throws, close quote. So it's very important to to Vic Fangio, Zach, that they disguise the coverage pre-snap. And then from there, you see a pretty solid mix between man and zone coverage, which gives those quarterbacks that, even the great ones like Tom Brady, that additional half-second or however long of pause that allows the rush to get to him.
2: And what's so encouraging to me is Von Miller mentioned last week that this defense is not just dependent now on the no-fly zone holding it down. Three different levels of the defense make it work now with Vic Fangio. They can get after the quarterback. They can stop opponents using all three levels. I love the potential mismatches and the havoc they can create with Vic Fangio. And that's why when you have someone like Josie Jewell, who just fits in where he gets in, you cannot have enough of those players, Chad.
1: And I love what what uh, Josie Jewell had to say, too, before we move on here to Cortland Sutton, about the attention he did or didn't pay to the NFL draft because the Broncos were so so tied to the top-off ball guys, the Devins, right, in the in the top of the draft throughout the pre-draft process. And you have to wonder what an incumbent starter at that position like Josie Jewell is thinking, similarly to Joe Flacco, right? What, what, what are you going to do if they draft a quarterback high? you got to wonder what Josie Jewell was thinking. And he – admitted that he was paying a little bit of attention to what was happening in the draft. However, he said it was mostly due to the fact that there were a couple of high-profile Iowa guys that might be going, and of course, Zach, one of them landed in Denver in Noah Fant. But basically, he admitted that, quote, whoever they picked, they were going to pick. So I was just going to work my butt off every day and just go with it, close quote. Which, that last point, I believe, even more so. He's just a guy that, even if you come in and it's and a player's maybe a little bit more blessed naturally a little bit more talented he's he's gonna find a way to outwork you he's gonna find a way to outsmart you in the classroom
2: yeah he's not stupid either he's not oblivious he knew the broncos were linked heavily to devin bush and it surprised a lot of people when they did not draft him but i like the attitude i mean it's out of his control it's not in his responsibility what players come in he can only do what he's assigned to do and the
1: best job he can do and i like that attitude all right let's talk about not a whole lot to hash out with regard to Cortland sutton But there are a couple interesting things he had to say about the quarterback, Zach. And one of them that what I thought was interesting was what he was asked, what stands out about Joe Flacco? You know, now he's had quite a few practices out on the grass to work with Flacco. And instead of reading this long quote for our listeners, I'm going to go ahead and play the Cortland Sutton clip here talking about what stands out with Joe Flacco.
4: I think a lot of people underestimate uh, his athleticism. I think that's one thing that a lot of people underestimate they don't I think they think he's just like a sit back there and throw it but he can he can move in the pocket and and he has so much confidence in his arm um and that's one thing I really enjoy being able to have uh, having him at, be really comfortable with his throws and knowing, he knows where he can get the ball to and he's willing to make those throws and take those chances and that's those things that I like because you know there are times where you know as a receiver we feel like we're open and there's a small window but if you don't have a quarterback that trusts that window then you won't get it so having him uh, trust his arm as much as he does and and have confidence in us and building that confidence every day with the reps um, it's awesome.
1: All right, Zach, so that's not exactly something I expected to hear, that people right. are underestimating Joe Flacco's athleticism because, after all, he's known as being the quintessential pocket statue.
2: I, yeah, I don't really know about this comment. I mean, is he basing it on a couple practices and OTAs or what? It's like everything that we know about Joe Flacco, he's a big arm, he's he's one of the, the biggest stage, but he does not have good pocket presence. He does not have a good mobility. It's just not his game. So I guess you got to take – the word of Cortland Sutton, who's there with him every day, but I'll believe that when I see that, Chad.
1: Yeah, and I think I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but what I kind of interpreted when he's talking about athleticism, guys like you and I, and I think most people interpret that to mean like mobility, right, for a, from a quarterback but I think what he was actually trying to say was he was talking more about his arm strength, and because in that quote obviously he's talking about taking, making throws and taking chances and fitting the ball in, stuff like that and that's something that Cortland Sutton hasn't played with a quarterback who has an arm as strong as Joe Flacco so far.
2: Yeah, I mean, no question about the arm strength and getting the ball into the windows he talked about. That's Joe Flacco. That's no comparison to Case Keenum. That's the only thing that Cortland Sutton has known to go on in the NFL is Case Keenum. There's no comparison there, but to say that his athleticism is underrated, nah, I'm calling kind of BS on that one.
1: And then the last thing I want to touch on here, and then we'll get out of here for today, is what Sutton had to say about Drew Locke. Here's the
4: quote. Uh, Drew, Drew's nice. Drew's Drew's doing what he's supposed to do. He's he's uh he's learning and he's and he's taking every rep that he can as you know as serious as he as he possibly should and could at this point in time. It's it's still really early. Um I have got to see him for I think what two weeks now. Um and he's and he's doing the things he's supposed to do. He's improving and he's making the throws, he's supposed to uh throw and, and, he's, and he's just learning the system that's the biggest thing we're, we're, he's just trying to learn the system just as, just like us and, and once he gets it he'll get more comfortable and he'll be able to start distributing the ball around like like he really wants to all
1: right so what were your impressions of of Sutton there the implications of what he had to say about Drew Lock. I mean other than you know Drew's doing what he's supposed to do right now he's learning that's his job right now
2: I think it's important after last week's little brouhaha about, you know, the, the mentoring and the, the the supposed fabricated competition in Denver. It's what he should be doing. He's sitting back. He's absorbing the offense. He's putting time in the, in the classroom on the practice field. And he's bonding with his teammates, not causing any trouble. He's putting his head down. What more could you ask at this point?
1: Fair point. I don't disagree. And Drew Locke, you know, he talked about – in that quote last week, I think it was the one from TMZ, and I know you had the article on it, but it basically said that Joe's responsibility right now is, in fact, to win games for this team. Mine is to learn, and that's something that in his his quote there that Sutton basically echoed. So, you know, Locke's getting in where he fits in. You want to use that phrase. That's a perfect uh, explanation of what Locke's brief is right now. And, you know, we're all fans can really do as it relates to Locke is just look forward to getting to see him in five preseason games this summer.
2: I also like the fact that, you know, last week's comments didn't reverberate negatively in the Broncos locker room. He can differentiate Locke and also Joe Flacco. And Sutton gave him a nice answer, Locke. He didn't just give him a two-sentence thing. He said he's nice doing what he should be doing. He'll get more comfortable. I mean, it's encouraging. I mean, the Broncos locker room is a lot more stable than I think some people are thought to believe.
1: But as he said toward the end of that quote, once he's more comfortable and and he's learned the system, he's going to be able to distribute the ball around like he really wants to, and obviously that's what the Broncos are hoping to from Drew Lock eventually, but he's going to have to bite his time because old man Flacco's got the job for now. We'll see how long that lasts. But, you guys, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. Like we said yesterday, we're not going to stretch these offseason pods beyond the material we have to analyze just to draw it out, all right? So hope you enjoyed today's pod. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter at Huddle Up Pod and leave your creative review on iTunes. Give us that five-star rating. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Stay tuned because Building the Broncos will be back on uh, tomorrow with a fresh episode. I think they are projecting and looking ahead at the 2018 class, what they can do in 2019 or in year two, so stay tuned for that. And then Zach and I will be back on the other side on Thursday. In the meantime, for Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon.